0: Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion podcast today. Where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Good afternoon, Joel. Howdy, Rabbi Eric. How are you this afternoon? I'm pretty good.
1: Uh, how are you doing?
0: <laughs> I am vertical, as my stepfather used to say. <laughs> Very nice. Right. Wait. Are you at a standing desk? <laughs> I should be. I used to have one that could jack, jack up, and I spent about half my time standing. This one doesn't do that. But I've thought about getting the little attachment for the top. Yes,
1: I've too. But metaphorically speaking, you, you're you're standing today. You're with us. <laughs> right. It is. Has- it's. Uh, it's on. Un- it's unbelievable. Emily and I, my wife, were, were talking this morning. Uh, a year ago today, we were, in all, of all places, we were on a congregational trip in Israel. And it's just amazing to think about how, in some ways, that feels like yesterday, and in other ways, 20 years ago.
0: Right. A year ago, I was flying home from Maryland to uh, visit my family that still lived in Georgia. And we had tickets to the Atlanta United game that weekend, and we would be of course
1: you did <laughs> yes,
0: and we would be going to the game, uh, which I hadn't been able to do for January or February being up here, um, and all of a sudden I I like landed in Atlanta, and they canceled every basketball game NBA game, and then they canceled every MLS game, and they they started shutting things down left and right of. Uh, a year ago this weekend.
1: Yeah. And so uh, I think we want to maybe reflect on this last year uh, for us a little bit, perhaps a little more personally than we did a few weeks ago when we talked about worship specifically. And uh, you had an interesting uh, kind of metaphorical link that we were talking about before the show about wilderness. And uh, I'd love to hear more about that.
0: Well, it happens to be the season of Lent in a lot of Christian churches, liturgical churches or traditional mainline churches. They might practice a season of Lent. And it's the 40 days minus the six Sundays before Easter. Uh, and it's a memory of when Jesus retreated into the wilderness to prepare for the hard time that was ahead of him. And, and I've been resonating with his retreat into wilderness and this year of COVID, how it has felt very much like an isolation, a retreat, a deprivation of some of the things that we are accustomed to. And it that wilderness story in the, the New Testament around Jesus, whether or not it happened, it was meant to echo the stories of wilderness for the people of God as they escaped from Egypt or when they lost their city, uh, Jerusalem, to the Babylonians and were stuck in wilderness for 40 years before returning to the city under the Assyrians. Uh, These stories of retreat and isolation and deprivation, they're in Scripture. We We don't write them out of Scripture. We remember them and they turn out to be massive times of learning and change and growth for the people of God on how we do community with one another and how we pledge to one another to to uh, do things differently as we come out of them. Um, and, and they usually end with a celebration as well. Somehow it is celebratory that the season of wilderness is over and there is great praise and thanksgiving to God. Um, so I am reflecting on this year of COVID in that wilderness theme and wondering if that resonates with you as somebody who uh, walks with the people of the wilderness.
1: Yeah, it, it, it certainly does. It, and I think there's a lot there that, that we will get into. A, one thing that I'm, I'm thinking of is very close to uh, the aftermath of the Exodus from Egypt God basically decides that instead of showing the Israelites the easy way to Israel, which uh, I believe would be a three-day walk, and if anyone's been to Egypt, there's no way that Israel is a 40-year walk from Egypt. I'm not an expert on geography by any means, but it's much shorter than that, uh, especially depending on where where in Egypt you start from. And there is very much this idea that it, the wilderness is – even though it is a time of perhaps sadness and loneliness, it is, as you said, a time for growth and reflection and learning. And so in that sense, it's it's, it's not – it's the opposite of a regretful time that you just have to live through. It's something that's necessary and meaningful even, of course, if it's not seen like that. You know, in the moment. And of course, the, the 40 years in the desert is a little bit of a different, uh, analogy because, uh, God didn't let that generation into the promised land. God only let, uh, uh the, the people born after that. And in some ways, it's because they, they only clung to the old ways and weren't willing, um, to grow. It's like, I feel like we just talked about this, but, you know, the, the mentality that a prisoner wants to go back to prison as opposed to live freely. And, and we did, we talked about Shawshank Redemption. And, I, and that idea is so powerful, because it's true, that the Israelites immediately upon being freed wanted to go back to Egypt. And so the wilderness is this open expanse for kind of growing beyond ourselves and through ourselves um, as we get to the next stage. But it but it's a necessary stage on the way. It's not something that you just kind of have to go through. It's absolutely necessary.
0: I, I think sometimes about group dynamics. And if you have a, a group, a community, uh, a bunch of people, and they're accustomed to doing community in one way, slaves of Egypt, and they're suddenly uh, moved out of that, they're not they don't have access to the same way they used to do community anymore because of they're shoved out of the habits and traditions and systems before and shoved into new ways. They have to uh, – the, the short way I remember it is form, storm, norm, perform. Um, you form your community. You storm, which means you got to struggle and resist one another and debate things all over again. You establish norms for how your community will operate now. Uh, now that it's different, and then you can start performing under as a community together. Um, this COVID season feels a bit like that to me. Like all of us, there was a certain way we assumed life and America and culture worked. Um, and where a couple of weeks ago we talked mostly about the theology and the technology around worship in COVID. This one feels bigger than that. Um I'm thinking way beyond the the houses of worship. Uh can we ever go back? It feels like we've been kicked out of the way that the country used to operate. And under COVID, boy, we have been storming. You know, is wearing a mask a personal freedom or is it a communal responsibility? And we've been debating those things and arguing about them. And when we've done that well, we've seen case numbers go down and deaths drop. And when we've done that poorly or selfishly, we've seen cases go up and death rise again. And it, it reminds me of the escape into the wilderness, how they, they made some beautiful sacrifices for one another and they made some big mistakes that, um, that broke God's commandments and that hurt one another. Uh, and I, that's a, just another, it may be tangential, it may be a stretch, but for me, this wilderness theme has been sitting on me uh, as we begin to anticipate coming out of the wilderness of COVID and to uh, hopefully a new normal, not the old way, not the old ways of doing it. Hopefully we've learned something about community and ourselves as we've gone through COVID together and we'll step out and do it differently.
1: not only as a rabbi, but as a person, and certainly as a Jewish person who wants to pray in in a minyan, in a community with people physically, and celebrating life cycle events, and being a a source of comfort, hopefully, to people who mourn, or wanting to be comforted during times of struggle for me. uh, Those are all sorely lacking, and there's a hole there. And uh, you know I, I, we all kind of joke about zoom fatigue and oh I can't take one more zoom meeting um, but it is not the same and it's not even only about physical contact although it's partially about that uh, but just the 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 mannerisms of seeing someone and looking at them in the eye and them being next to you and then you walking to the next person and just having those even the small conversations that you have, um, or that, that, you know, I think both of us do a sort of fellowship after our services with some snacks or drinks and, you know, walking around, checking in with congregants. Um, you know now if I make a phone call to a congregant very often it's like why is the rabbi calling me right and there's this whole kind of contextualization well you know because of COVID I'm just trying to I want to reach out I haven't you know I, I you know thank goodness you're you know if they're not in a high risk category of people that I talk to more often sometimes it's like well what why is the rabbi calling me whereas if it was after a service of course the rabbi is coming up to me to say hi and check in or of course I'm going up to the rabbi and so those things are, are are more they're just very different i wouldn't say they're strained but just very different
0: yeah we were blocked from making pastoral visits for since last april really there are certain communities here there's one older community uh, around the area retirement community called heron point and a lot of our members and others in this area live there and they had very strict rules and regs about who could and could not come on campus. And they also had some barriers and boundaries on their residents on them leaving campus. Um, and if you did leave campus, it had to be only for these situations. And when you returned, you had to quarantine in your home. And, and I just, I, I'm remembering how that forced retreat from one another that COVID put on us. Um, it really severed a lot of the core of my identity as a pastor. It did not give me access to to go be the pastor to people that I felt I was called here to be.
1: Absolutely, and those are the people that, in some ways, need it most because very often they are by themselves. Mm-hmm. Or you're, and yeah, I, I have a congregant who within. This past year, so since COVID has declined considerably, not as much physically as mentally, and I mean, and it's someone I'm fairly close to, and I, I you know, the the family lives in town, and um, it breaks my heart that uh, I can't see her and, and, you know, she's still, last time I spoke with the family, um, she was responsive to some old Hebrew songs. And so, you know, being able to go there and just pray Shema with her or something like that, I, I can't do. And like you said, it's, it's a major part of, I'll, I'll use your, uh, a Christian word. It's a major part of our ministry that we are literally unable to do. Or if we are able, it's, it's kind of with, you know, with, with a leg chopped off, so to speak, that it's, it's only in very limited situations, and it's not even close to the fullness of what it can be or what it should be.
0: Wilderness for, um, for us in, in the Lenten tradition is a time of intentionally setting down certain habits and intentionally picking up new ones. And some people use it only to give up certain things, right? And other people use it. Chocolate, right? Yeah, chocolate or (laughs) caffeine or alcohol or whatever. And and other people use it to pick up something, take on a new habit. I I always try to marry the two. Like most human beings fill their life uh, and their time and their dollar, (laughs) their bank account with ins and outs. And if you want to create a new out, um, you may need a new in. So for every one thing you set down – Pick up a new healthier thing, um, and I I just wonder if the people when they were stuck in wilderness times, um, how they thought of that, how they thought of the the change that was being imposed on them. Um, I think some of them saw it as God's salvation, like when you're being rescued from slavery, woohoo, we're being saved from Pharaoh. Others, at the same time, in Scripture, complained that. God was punishing them and throwing them into the desert to die. They were going to die of starvation, or what? It's the exact same movement of people from one oppressive situation into this new place, but they they talked of it so differently, so bipartisan um, aspect, <laughs> and um, and I'm sensing that even now, like some people when they. We're a year into this COVID thing, and some people are like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so amazed that the church or the synagogue has all this new technology and we can do it like we talked about a few weeks ago, and other people are just, they can't even stand church uh, until it's in the flesh, or they can't, they can't do one more Zoom call like you talked about. What does it look like to, um, to let this one-year anniversary in clergy and in our people— change us for the better and to memorialize it in a way that we grow something good out of it and and not come out of it even more divided about about uh, why it happened or what happened or uh, the meaning of it
1: yeah it's a good question um you know i i see it in some ways as a very practical question because like you said you know, it's not going back to anything obviously God willing we you know we will have in-person services again but as we talked about I, I think there are a number of people for whom the social not I, I'll, I won't say the social isolation but the ability to privately through technology participate in services is is good for them and they they, they don't necessarily want the interaction all the time. And so feeling like we have to, in some ways cater to both of those needs um, is going to be tricky. I, I don't see anything dividing us other than on a, again, a little bit of a practical matter. And, and I, I would imagine you think about this too. And I think liberal religious institutions have been grappling with this for years, which is just the decline of the institution. And so for people that have not been as participatory in the year because of the Zoom fatigue, because, you know, they barely went to services in person, why are they going to go virtually, you know, all those things, are they going to think back when it's time to set their priorities, which include financial resources, right? And think next year where they're giving their resources to, is the temple, is the church going to be on that list? Or my fear is, Oh well, you know we haven't like a gym. We haven't gone in the last year, so we're not going to rejoin. And I, I think that is a very, I, I don't fear that for you know a, a huge swath of congregants. But I certainly, it would be unrealistic to think that that will not happen at all out of some idealism or some hope.
0: Yeah. I- there's that same issue for thinking about the synagogue and church, how it's going to use its resources, whatever it's given, going forward. If we use what we've been given exactly the same as we used to pre-pandemic, gosh, surely this pandemic taught us we have got to get more actively involved in using the resources of religion and faith communities to help those who are the poorest, the the, the most in need. Uh, there's a lot about the—when uh, we talk about wilderness in the in the Hebrew Bible, one of the wildernesses, the big first wilderness story, is one of God's salvation of the people. Now, they were stuck in that wilderness for longer than I they— I know that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were stuck in that wilderness longer than they needed to be, and some will say, well, God punished them, and some will say it was the natural consequences of their— Misbehavior, whatever. Um, I, I'm. I don't know how to dance that line. The the second great wilderness. The way that a lot of the prophets talk about that when they were kicked out of the city and lost it to Babylon was that y'all forgot to take care of the widows and the orphans and the aliens, and the immigrants and the youngest and the oldest and the most vulnerable. You forgot that I am a God of steadfast love, and I have a particular love for those in your community that are at at greatest risk. And if you neglect them, you're going to lose the powers and privileges that I as God gave you, not so that you could have extra, but so that all could have enough. Uh, And if you're not going to use them in that way, you're going to lose them. Uh, and the prophets kind of threaten that, and a lot of the leaders say, nah, it won't happen. And the prophets say, it's coming, and then it does. And uh, they, of course, repent and confess and sackcloth and ashes and rip their garments and beg forgiveness. But it's amazing how fast, once we get some of the powers and privileges back, we forget the lesson that, that put well, us into absolutely. the wilderness anyway.
1: And frankly, that that is a lesson that's repeated not only in Judaism over and over again, but even in the Written Torah of this um, this attempt, this nonstop attempt by God to remind us of the miracles that God performed for us. And you know, the in the w- what you describe as the first wilderness, uh, the the golden calf is, is the I, I hesitate to say perfect example, but. You know, even after the 10 signs and wonders that God performed, culminating, of course, in the uh, expanse of the Red Sea, splitting so that the Israelites could walk safely to freedom. Even after all that, the Israelites were quick to forget. And so how quick are we to
0: forget? And I think about this in very
1: practical. I
0: I wonder what we will be quick to forget.
1: Right. And I think, even even practically, COVID notwithstanding, we're we're quick to forget lots of things in our lives. Like when we wake up every day feeling nominally healthy, we don't think what a blessing that is. We only think about when we're sick how awful that is. And so there's all sorts of tie-ins with that. Um, but but specifically with with the wilderness piece is it, ideally, I think the way the Torah has us understand wilderness it, wilderness, it's a time. For us to be open, to be vulnerable, and to remember those things, not to forget them.
0: What about the life pre-COVID? Do we need to remember because it is it was the good, healthy way of doing community that that followed in God's um, God's ways. What about pre-COVID do we need to remember so that we can do it better when we come out of COVID this time? Um, and I'm I'm not sure what those things are, but there, there are going to be personal decisions that this wilderness need to awaken in me as a, a dad, husband, father, preacher, pastor. I imagine there will be congregational decisions that this church needs to, when we come out of COVID, we need to do differently. I think there'll be communal and, and countrywide things that we should consider and do differently. Uh, listen to the prophets that are warning us about the the widows, orphans, and aliens. Um, and I don't want to say COVID was sent upon us by God, but uh, I do want to say that I, I feel like COVID wouldn't have had to be this bad if we had done it a little better, if we had been more generous if we had been more more careful, if we had been more communal, uh, if we had been faster to listen to the science and trust it and, and if we had all uh, shut things down, put on masks, gone slow, not had the spikes of, uh, of summer or Thanksgiving Christmas, we could have saved hundreds of thousands of lives, I feel like, even without back- vaccines. Um, is surely there's a wilderness lesson in there that we can learn. This won't be the last pandemic that that humanity faces. Probably in in our lifetime, will we learn something from this so we don't have to re-enter wilderness next time? And well, and
1: I and I think I, I think many people would say, and I imagine that you'd agree, is that the climate crisis is it's a current pandemic of sorts, although, you know, certainly not as severe in the short term as COVID. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're, we as human beings are unwilling <laughs> To address it head on, because we're, we, we don't do well with inconvenience, especially as Americans, with this whole idea of you know you can have the American dream and you deserve it and and I, I think I think that's why we're seeing some of those debates about you know you can 't take away my freedom or you know you can't take away my dr. Seuss books, which nobody is, but or my guns or any any of those ridiculous statements that have a sliver of bearing in reality, but not really. Uh, I, I think it's a function of what's been bred into us as Americans, and we do need to think more communally. I mean, I, I th- this is what I think whenever I hear about, you know, the decrying of socialism. I mean, by no means am I a socialist, but it's like when, you know, when Texas had those awful floods and, and freezing – not floods, freezing – a few weeks ago, and then because, because they t- t- took themselves out of the communal pool, they didn't have assistance. I mean, th- that – that could be defined as a socialist program. Social security is a socialist program. The word social, meaning we take care of each other. It is not only about what you make or what you deserve, because what you deserve is to be part of a community. And I mean, I'm all for capitalism. I think you know that people deserve, to, that there should be different salaries for different things and different jobs merit different benefits and all of that 100%. And there needs to be kind of a reorganization or re- rethinking of how we think about personal and personal rights and communal responsibility.
0: I would love for that to be one of our learnings out of this wilderness of COVID. Um, I, I sense that we're going to forget it. Really quickly. Even if we are learning it, we're going to step right out and go right back to it. it, I
1: sense that too. It
0: it reminds me very much of how the the leaders in the Hebrew Bible or or beyond, whenever they learned a big lesson and consequences finally landed on them for not remembering that individual uh, privilege is never more important than communal responsibility, when they forget that— Every, the next wilderness is already on the horizon, and it's coming. And it, the hard part about every wilderness is it hits everybody. It, the whole community is going through it. Uh, well, it's like
1: the psalmist said, you know, it rains on saints and sinner alike. It, it's a symbol. Yep.
0: Yes. But for those who knew slavery sucked, <laughs> a trip into the wilderness is a party and for those who had certain kind of interesting power or privilege even though they were in slavery they think it's not as good to go into the wilderness and i i am i'm not sure about covid and what the great lesson is but i i have some significant covid fatigue i know i do i feel it i i am tired i grieve it i My son, who's working the A.V. booth for us uh, on Sunday mornings. Um, Oh, cool. Yeah, he— Very cool. There's another church member who sits back there with him and runs the computer or the camera. Uh, And this Sunday, that church member was our liturgist. So he was up on the chancel, and he took his mask off to read the liturgy. And then later, Daniel said, I didn't know that's what he looked like under there. (laughs) I, I've only seen him in a mask for all these years. And my mind had filled in below the mask with a certain assumption. He takes it off and he looks totally different. And I realize I got to this church at the beginning of February. I got to see these people's faces for five, six weeks. I haven't seen them unmasked, right, in 11 months.
1: No, it's crazy.
0: I I don't know what they look like? They know what I look like because I take my mask off and I preach. And uh, it, but I don't know what they look like, and it, it feels radically unfair. But I don't want to have a little pity party for me. I just want to to let that weight be what it is. Say it out loud to others in the community so that they know it's on me, and trust that when we come out of this thing, we can. We could throw some parties so we get to know one another again for the, for the first time.
1: Yeah, 100% on the parties. <laughs> well, one thing that I've been thinking about really – not necessarily since this started, because I think we were all in kind of a crisis mode and what are we going to do and learning all of these practical and technological things. But as the months have gone on, one thing that has and does bring me comfort, and this is specific to Judaism, but, you know, t- tell me your, how you feel about this, is that, you know, for thousands of years, Jews have had to deal with a lot worse things than being isolated in their houses, hopefully with good internet and God willing good health, Right. And even under those cases, we as a people continued living Jewish lives, even if we've had to hide and smuggle a prayer book to say Shabbat prayers or take crumbs that we found and use that as a challah to celebrate Shabbat. Uh, and so I, I see and I, I've mentioned this during the few B'nai Mitzvah that we've had that have been over Zoom and, of course, drastically different that you, you know, in some ways even more meaningful than quote-unquote normally, you are showing your commitment to our people and our faith by doing this during this decidedly inconvenient time and not necessarily waiting until, you know, we're open or until you could have a party at the nice restaurant, that that in itself is making a statement. The other thing is, is this whole word of virtual. You know, we're going to worship virtually. We're going to celebrate virtually. We're actually worshiping, period, with no qualifier. When there's a bar mitzvah or a special birthday this Friday night where we had two congregants that one had a 60, one turned 60 and one turned 75, and they're going to be honored with some things during the service. Like, those are actual things. They're not virtual things. Yes, we're doing them on the Internet. But but the semantics of it, I think, are are important. I mean, because looking back – you know, like when I look back 10 years from now, oh my gosh, Aaron will be a preteen. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna think back on his baby naming, which we did completely over Zoom, except for my wife and Aaron and my um, mine and her parents who were blessed were, were able to be with us in person. I'm gonna look back at that as a wonderful memory. It was a baby naming. It wasn't what we had planned, but lots of things even during, again, normal life aren't what we planned. And so I think looking at it from that perspective could be helpful. That when we look back on this year, and hopefully everyone has had their share of blessings and happy moments, and you know everyone's had a birthday during this past year, and you know again different than what any of us planned, but hopefully still being able to recognize the joy and blessing um, through those experiences.
0: That your first point about. Continuing to practice during the times of trial, uh, yes, I I see that for the people of Israel for sure. Um, I can't I can't uh, <laughs> compare Christian suffering w- with that, um, and in fact, I'd I'd be remiss if I didn't express that so many of the uh, people of Israel's sufferings were at the hand of so-called Christians. Um, so that's that's a tough one, uh, but I do find that there is something in those of us who try to do faith with real integrity. That it is those moments of struggle and suffering where we realize the time and the the discipline that we invested. When things were semi-normal and the practices of faith, we we find them catching us, holding us, um, pulling us. It, it's not that we go to faith practices in the wilderness because we're desperate. It's It's that the faith practices come to us and they pull us through the wilderness to find the light at the other end of the tunnel. And if we didn't already have the habit and the ritual and the discipline of them, boy, the wilderness is so much harder, so much longer, so much lonelier. So I, I'm grateful, right, that, that your people learned that lesson the really hard way and taught it and practiced it and continued to practice it. And, the you know, for me, Jesus learned it in the same way. And when he had his toughest times, it was those same practices that pulled him through. So I I do see the resonance in that, especially around this topic of COVID wilderness.
1: And wilderness does not have to be lonely. I mean, that is where, in terms of the Israelite people, that, that's where we became community. That's where we learned lots of laws. Uh, and so I, I think sometimes it, there's a notion of it as inherently bad or ugly or lonely. And it can be those things, but it doesn't have to be those things. And I think that's one of the challenges, one of the practical challenges that we're working through is how do we, how can I and you on separate screens with our congregations continue to connect with them and them with one another uh, so that it's not that sense of loneliness, but like, um, uh, the prophet Balaam said, when when looking over at the desert uh, at all the Israelites, "Matovu alecha yaakov. How beautiful are your tents, O house of Jacob? Because he saw the the warmth of community in the wilderness.
0: I imagine that those who uh, search for a more Individualistic, uh, freedom slash right, uh, rights, meaning not correct, but I have my rights way of living, um, pre wilderness. They struggle the most to, uh, quickly appreciate the communal nature of wilderness and to submit to the communal nature. Of wilderness is a repudiation of their individual protection of their personal rights. It is a surrender to our dependency on one another, the communal social nature of God's way of doing community. And that is, I have a feeling that's why some people do sense uh, wilderness as lonely, because they'd rather be alone and still cling to uh, mm. Personal rights and personal freedoms, than to say, you know, that that's not God's way to live. It, it's submission into the greater, the whole, um, and that that pull into the greater community. If they let, if they surrender to that, they lose their worldview, and and I have a feeling that's why it feels as lonely as it does sometimes to folk.
1: Well, may we all uh, go toward a promised land or a new promised land soon. I, I'm, let's hope that everyone, if for, for our listeners and, and everyone who, who have not been vaccinated, we hope that, that you're able to as soon as possible and uh, that you and your family are safe and healthy.
0: And thanks for uh, continuing to tweet me whenever you think you see an Xbox Series X available in the world. But uh, I am pretty much speaking
1: of wilderness. Yes, you 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 are in the shopping cart is empty. Wilderness. Yes.
0: This item is out of stock, and I I feel quite sure that I I, I am. I don't know if I'll get an Xbox Series X or my vaccine first, but there it is currently a race between those two.
1: I, I'm not going to ask which one you, you prefer, um, but uh, m- may both come to you speedily. And selfishly for me on the Xbox, so you and I can chat about future episode topics while we're playing, you know, who knows what. Right. Uh, so if any of our listeners work for Microsoft or, or have an in, uh, please uh, tweet Reverend Joel.
0: <laughs> nice. Thank you for joining us on the Religion podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Religion fans out there, We thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to religionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.